You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Man, it's been... Anyone had one of those interesting weeks? It's just... Like you would have started that week, you're like, oh, that's, that's never going to happen. And then it happens. Um, so some of y'all might be where, where I'm at today. The good news is we're all going to the same place this morning together. And that's hopefully closer to the Lord and to His Word to find out some things that He has in store for us. We're going to begin a new series uh, today. It's going to go for a few weeks. It's called Sea and Shore, Parables from the Beach. See, Jesus actually taught on... 46, there's 46 different recorded parables that Jesus taught in the Gospels. And if you don't know what a parable is, it's a fun word, first of all. Second of all, a parable is a succinct, it's a fun word to say, a succinct, short. I don't know why I just write short itself. Just write short. Uh, a very brief, didactic story, right, that, that is either in prose or in verse or in metaphor, and it's going to illustrate an important lesson or a takeaway for whoever is being communicated to. So Jesus used uh, these parables all the time because the difference, if you ever wonder, between uh, a parable and a fable. See, a parable has human characters in it. A fable will use like plants or trees or animals or inanimate objects as like the wolf coming to life or whatever. That's a fable. Jesus used parables because it comes down to relationship. There's always a human element and a parable. We're going to be talking over the next few weeks about some parables of sea and shore. We live so close to the beach. I think we take it for granted sometimes. The lessons that can be extracted from that at a spiritual level. Anyone not like the beach? Yeah, people who live in Pel- yeah, yeah, go ahead. Be proud about it. You do not like the beach. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, yeah. There's like you are like five, not even, five miles away from what most people consider like an amazing vacation destination. And if you're like my mom, we, we grew up and uh, we did not go to the beach often. Um, and and we, when we did, oh, it was messy. <laughs> it was messy. We're actually going to be talking about that in a few weeks. So I get it, you may not like the beach. How many people here love the beach? <laughs> Very excited about the beach. Maybe, maybe too excited, but it is still just that way every day. Just calm down a little bit, Ralph. Um, yeah, some people really love, really love the beach. And it's one of the things, in, again, in our community, it's kind of like an identifying factor, right? Because everyone, when they ask where you live, a lot of people just assume it's Orlando, right? That Disney has just swallowed us up as well. Like, no, no, no. There, there's like 40 or 50 minutes different where on the East Coast, like, I don't, I don't know, you know Ron John's? No, I don't know. Uh, beach? Yeah, I know where the beach is, but like, near what? Uh, space shuttles! And then we start doing like weird motions to try to describe to someone who doesn't know where we live, where we live. And some people know Melbourne. You're like, Australia? I'm like, no, no, we're, we're here in Melbourne. And it's an identifying factor of where we live. It's an identifying factor of our community. So it is summer. We're going to have a little bit of fun. And it just made a lot of sense what God laid on my heart. So, you know what, we're going to use what's around us just as Jesus did. And the parables in the gospel. Taking the, the everyday things that are around us. Because His Word is both 
complicated and simple to understand. And that's he used parables to kind of break those things down so that anybody can understand who he is and his love for us. You may be wondering at this this title, Sea and Shore Parables from the Beast. We're going to be talking about things like wind and waves and surf and seashells and sand. And like all those are inanimate objects, Josh. How is this a parable? Because a parable has a human element in it. You know where the human element comes in? It's you. All of the things that we're going to be talking about in this short little series are things that are going on in your life. To some degree. And it may seem like a weird place to start in a series about the beach, but I'm going to begin in Montana. A long way away from any beach. You see, in 1949, there was a firefighter named Wag Dodge. Wagner was his full name. I recall him Wag Dodge. I guarantee you, you may forget everything else I say, but you'll remember, you'll remember this guy's name. Because you, Wag Dodge, are you serious? Yes, Wag Dodge. And he was a smoke jumper. And these are the extremest of the extreme firefighters because these dudes would parachute, let's think about this for a second, out of a per- perfectly good airplane near a fire in the middle of the wilderness to then try to put it out. You've got to be some level of crazy and brave. And Wag Dodge was one of these smoke jumpers. And in 1949, there's an incredible fire out in the wilderness of Montana. And so these smoke jumpers and Wag Dodge were called in. It's called the Man M A N N Gulch Fire. Anyone heard of this before? I had not. The Man Gulch Fire in Montana is 1949. So, for perspective, this is not long after World War II to when men intentionally started jumping out of airplanes. This is a really new thing. And so, these, these smoke jumpers parachuted near the fire with all of their gear and axes and, and shovels and the best protection that they had in 1945 or 49, which was a long way away from the technology of today. So they parachute into this wilderness, taking everything they can with them, and begin moving towards this fire to try to put a ring around it and cut it out. There were very high winds that day. And on the side of this, this, this incline of these, one of these mountains, these rolling hills out there in the wilderness of Montana, the fire took a turn. And they experienced what's called a blow-up. And in this blow-up, this fire covered 3,000 acres in about 10 minutes. We're talking about rivers of fire that you and I can't even imagine. Just over mountains and trees just swallowing everything up. And just crazy wind driving in a wind because of the heat, fueling it even more. And so these 15 smoke jumpers knew they were in trouble. And they started trying to to run, and some of them were carrying all their gear. And the chief wagged down and said, drop all your heavy gear. We need to leave it behind. We need to try to get ahead of this thing. Do you think everybody did? No. Not everybody did. 
And those that didn't, didn't make it. Because they were weighed down. And so the fire is approaching them and, and Wagdodge does something which had not become a, a method of wilderness firefighting yet. You know what Wagdodge did? He started a fire. Like right where he was standing. As this giant blow-up fire covering thousands of acres was coming his way faster than they could outrun it. He starts a fire in front of him and tries to call the other guys to come get in the little burned patch around him. Because you see, a fire won't burn what is already burned. It'll just move around it. And so Wagdod starts this fire and only a couple of guys come around him. The others are more confident in their self-ability their self-reliance and their own speed to try to outrun the fire. And every single one of them who don't listen to Wag Dodge perish. Only three people survive. Eventually, days later, it takes 450 firemen out in this wilderness to try to contain this incredible fire. And eventually come upon the, the remains of the firefighters who didn't make it. But everyone with Wag Dodge survived. I want to begin there in Montana because some of the things that we're going to be talking about, this is very applicable. Because in order to survive the fire around you, you have to have a fire burning inside of you. Does that make sense? Because you and I, I know we're talking about oceans in a few minutes, but this, this truth still applies. If you and I have, have all of this crazy stuff going on in our lives, but the fire burning inside of you, of Jesus Christ, if that's not there, the world will burn you up. So I hope through the message today, and actually through this series, and through the next two series, because I know what they are, we're going to be stacking on top of each other. I'm excited about it. And I hope God begins to use what we talk about together to build a small fire in your life that will grow to a place to protect you from all the other fires going on around you. I'll begin with the Scripture. You may or may not feel free to turn there. That's up to you. But Isaiah chapter 43. Just two verses. 2 and part of verse 3. He's talking about Israel's only Savior. It says, When you pass through the waters, we are talking about oceans, waves and sea and shore. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. As most of you know, for a few weeks, uh, I was able to, to step out of this environment for a few healthy weeks for myself, uh, for my family, for my soul, for my spirit. And I took a, a sabbatical. And a sabbatical is based on Sabbath. And so uh, I, I hadn't been up here for about four or five weeks. And I hadn't been here here for almost three straight weeks. Like I said last week, I love you, but it was marvelous. 
And just to be able to step away over the past few years, one of the things I did, I had a little bucket list of items that I like to try to cross off. A lot of them didn't get crossed off, and that's okay. But one of the things that was, was high on my priority list was, was getting away with God. And we had the beach right here. So I found this little dive of a bungalow that I was just fine with. Um, I don't know if I would have taken my family there. Let me put it that way. Cute little place in Indy Atlantic, so it was in town. This little spot right on the beach, this little motel. And I booked a night there, and for, for almost two days, took a change of clothes, a Bible, and a journal. And like that was it. And I went over there to the beach, and I spent a long time just sitting. And I, a, lot of this come, a lot of this series comes from that, because I spent a lot of time, hours, I'm talking about hours, where no one's calling me, no one's texting me. I love my wife and kid, but they were away, and there was quiet. If you have a two-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. I talked about that last week. Da-da, da-da, da-da. So um, it, it was great to just sit there. I actually just kind of lost track of time. Anyone done that on the beach? You, just, you pull a chair out there, and you just kind of sit. And you feel the, the sun is burning your back, but you just kind of don't care. Because what's in front of you is, is more amazing than the aloe vera lotion you'll need later. And so I'm watching wave after wave after wave after wave rhythmically come up on the shore. And I think there are a few things more relaxing in life than being at the beach. There's something holistic about it. There's something supremely natural about it. And I think we don't take advantage of it often enough. So you eight people who ate the beach, challenge you one day this week, just go sit for an hour. Turn your phone off and just be. It's a great time to spend with God. So I, so I did that. And I'm thinking uh, through, through all of that, the beast that I've taken for granted, and, and as I'm asking God, God, what do you want me to tell these people? What, what word do you have for us going forward? And it was almost like God said, well, no, I, I want to begin with a word for you. I want you to take all of this in. Look at what's before you. Understand that and then, then share. So our first day today about things from the beach, parables of sea and shore, we're going to be talking about wind and waves. Primarily waves. And if you and I think of our life in waves, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because there's, there's times where the swell is really building up our life, and your, your life might feel like chaos, or maybe it's kids shipping off to college, you've got to get everything straight together. Maybe you're going into a, a new school. Maybe you're beginning a new job and it's kind of uncertain. Or maybe you have, for whatever reason, had to leave the job you were in, and the waves just start kind of piling up on your life, either in, in debt as you don't have paychecks, coming in, you're trying to find resources to provide. And the waves are coming up and coming up and building up. And after a while, it probably feels like you're in some version of storm, right? Anyone ever felt like that in their life? It's okay. Yeah. And there may be other times in your life where the waves are smaller. We'll call this clear water. And, um, and Clearwater Beach, they think they have a... <laughs> who goes surfing there? You can't, right? The waves are like this big. But it's a really nice place to just kind of relax. It's so funny because um, I believe it was our, our honeymoon, this was 11 years ago, my wife and I, uh, we went to um, St. Pete Beach 
uh, for an in little state honeymoon, and so we're we're swimming out there in the in the ocean. And the first thing, one of the first things I'll never forget, my wife, I'm picking on her, I love you. She goes, ew, ew. I'm like, what? She's like, there's fish right here. And they're like up against my leg. I'm like, what's your, what's your deal? Is it, ew, ew, right? They're always there. But on the East Coast, the sand is stirred up more and you just can't see them as well. And so the day that I went out there a few weeks ago, it was really rare and the sea was actually really clear. One of the few times I've been on the beach on the, here on the East Coast, you could see all the fish. And it was really pretty. So that stuff is, is always there. And whether you're on either a clear water type of beach or an East Coast beach, or there's even like a Pacific Northwest beach, wave is much bigger, much more scary, like Maine. Same type of deal the farther north you go, bigger waves and, and lighthouses, big waves crashing over the rocks. So... Wherever you're at in your life, you can probably relate to whatever type of wave you're in. There's ups and downs in your life. Maybe feeling like you're swept out in a rip current, or maybe you're just in the shallows. There's waves in our life. If we don't understand that, it's a very basic principle, but everything's going to stack on that today. Because not only are there waves, there's wind. You notice every time you're at the beach, it's like, like it seems more windy there. We'll talk about the science in a few minutes about why. And, and it just blows my hair back, and I just, I just do this. Sir Paul, you, you and me, man, we'll go have a good time. Perry, we'll just go and let our hair, hair just blow in the wind. It's glorious. And there's wind. And the wind is, is blowing not only things around the beach, but things off the beach, as in things offshore. And you can often sit out there on our beach and you see these giant, massive entertainment vessels called cruise ships leaving the port. And they're so large you can see them from like virtually anywhere in Brevard County on the beach. And you can watch these cruise ships go out on three or seven day cruises. Obviously, those cruise ships aren't powered by wind, right? But massive turbo diesel engines or something like that. But there was a time when mankind was completely dependent on the wind to get them where they wanted to go on the ocean. And in the last 200 years or so, as we've developed engines and steam engines and other types of, of fuels, we've become less reliant on the wind. And so you see a lot fewer sailboats, right? Because sailing is a whole lot harder than driving. You, you drive a speedboat, you drive a motorboat, you know, even in the giant cruise ship, there's like a wheel and like a million buttons. And you just, we're just going that way. And you just go. But a sailboat, you're like, you're having to tie all these ropes down and, and, and pull out the sail, and there's words, fun words like jib. And mainmast, quartermast, rudder, tiller, and all that kind of stuff. And you have to figure out how to use the wind to get you where you want to go. And since we've had all these engines over the last few hundred years, maybe mankind has become a little bit too self-reliant and not appreciating what the wind is to get us where we need to go. Because back in Jesus' time, they didn't have, obviously, they didn't have motors. 
So they had to depend on and know the wind to get them where they needed to go. And knowing how to sail was a lot more of a, of a craft, of an apprenticeship, because they spent time with the wind. Now we just want to hit a button and go there. And I think some of that's true for our faith. Because if you and I think of ourselves as driving a motorboat in our spiritual life, we're going to run into some problems. We've got to be a little bit more flexible to let God guide us as the wind where we need to go. Here's the cool part about all of this. There's science. Yay, science. So I'm sitting there on the beach and I'm looking at all this. I said, well, you know, all of those science lessons and biology and nature from you know high school, those are long gone. I've forgotten most of that. And so I'm sitting there like, I wonder what causes waves. Very elementary, I know. But I'm just sitting there observing like in a deeper level. Like, where, they, where does waves come from? Waves actually begin in, in deep, deep ocean. Started by wind. And a wave is just, because it's this giant vertical part, just motion of energy, which goes all the way down to the sea floor. Think about that for a second. Like, we're talking thousands of feet deep. This vertical wave then moves closer to shore as it was blown there. And as it gets closer to shore, this vertical motion, this energy, finally comes up close enough to where we can actually see it. And the wave starts to rise and then break as it comes wave after wave of all this, of all this energy. And these, these waves are started by wind. So I kept wondering, where does, where does wind come from? Like if, I see the waves that are begun by wind, but what makes the wind? And out in, in, in the deep ocean, that vast, vast array of expansive nothing from the surface, because 71% of the earth is, is ocean. You know, 71% of the earth is ocean. So tons and tons and tons of water all over our planet. And wind begins mostly because of our sun. See, the sun heats up different parts of our earth and so the molecules start moving faster and faster creating wind. This is why it's always windier at the beach than on land because all if most of the earth is ocean... Scientifically, the, the, the sun heats that up, stirs up the molecules. Molecules move, make wind. Wind makes wave, and everything just kind of comes to our shore as we sit there and build sandcastles. Really kind of oblivious to the whole thing. So if you follow it back to its origin, the waves you see on the beach actually come from our sun. Pretty cool, right? Maybe it's just me. Okay. I want to read a, a scripture to you and have you, or two scriptures actually, and, and see if you tell me where you think they come from. They're not on screen yet. Haha. Okay. So just wait. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Anyone want to take a guess on that? You can throw it out there. 
Throw it out there. Sorry. Nope. Can anyone think about any time where... Nope, not this reference. Any time where the storm was stilled to a whisper, the waves of the sea were hushed. We're listening attentively. Yes, okay, yeah. Anyone, Matthew? Could anyone think of a dude calming the waters? Okay. Here's the cool part. It's not where that comes from. It's actually Psalm 107, verse 29. Psalm 89, 9 says this, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. This is Old Testament stuff. Preceding by hundreds or thousand years. What I'm about to read. And that's from the book of Matthew. When Jesus got into the boat, His disciples followed Him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But He, Jesus, was asleep. And they went and woke Him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And He said to them, Why are you afraid, you of little faith? Then He rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this? that even winds in the sea obey Him. See, obviously, the disciples had not paid attention in Talmudim class, learning the old Scriptures. Because Psalm tells us who controls the wind and the waves, right? Who is it? Again, Psalm 107.29, He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Isn't that amazing, the parallel between Old Testament, New Testament, same story. What about this passage? Another, you guess it, type of scenario. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the ways of the sea. Any guesses? Psalms? Nope. Can anyone again think of a time where someone treaded on the sea? Someone walked on the water? Jesus, right? Do you know where this comes from? Job. Job. Job chapter 9 verse 8 says, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. I want to have that in the back of your mind as well as now we read probably what came to your mind first. And that's also in the book of Matthew. As well as other Gospels. But this passage we're going to read today is Matthew chapter 14. Beginning in verse 22. And this is after Jesus has fed 5,000 people. And immediately He made the disciples get into the boat and go before Him to the other side. While He dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind 
was against them. And then the fourth watch of the night, this is like 3 to 6 a.m., so this is keep that in the back of your mind. He came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. And what we read in the Old Testament, again, and in the New Testament, same story. Here is a God who can calm the wind, who can walk on the waves, who can tell the storm to stop. And it does. Here's where it got cool for me. Sitting out there on that beach a few weeks ago, looking at His creation, saying, God, what do you want me to learn? Because if waves are begun by wind, and wind is begun by our sun, then waves and wind are both subservient to our sun's light. Have you ever thought about how biblical that is? See, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus tells us, as I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world, He says. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So it's both supremely amazing and incredibly logical when you actually think about it, even the science behind it. That the light of the world that rules over the wind and the oceans and the waves and in us. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the sun. So of course it makes sense that He would be able to master the sea to calm it. That He would be able to stop the wind to walk on the waves. Because they're all controlled by the sun. Y'all with me on this? It's just kind of like a... Maybe that's the sound it made, the light bulb as it popped over my head. That was just this really cool revelation that I just really wanted to share with y'all. As we begin a short series on, on the, the parables of the beach. And I guarantee you again that there are winds in your life. You may feel being blown around today. And chaos. You may feel like the waves are just coming onto your shore like incessantly again and again and again and again and again and you're like crying out because you feel like you're drowning. And the wind and the waves are all kind of crashing into you. 
You need to remember this morning that, that the light of the world controls it all. And if your and my reliance is not on Him, but in our self-sufficiency, we will get lost. We will crash. We will sink. We will run out of fuel. Because we're not dependent on the person who controls the wind. We will sink because we're, we're not paying attention to the person who's standing on the waves. One of the cool things I think about that, that passage is, it's from my understanding and the way we read this, Peter made it to Jesus. I think in our minds, oftentimes, we think Peter got out of the boat and he's running to Jesus on the water and he's some distance off. But if you remember what we just read, it says Peter came to Jesus. And this is verbiage that means that they are like standing right next to each other. And Peter took his eyes off the Savior and began to sink. And he started looking around at all the waves to get distracted by all the wind. And then fear sunk in. And he realized he was standing on water. He's like, wow, this is incredible. And not possible by my logic. And he began to sink. And I think sometimes the fear in our own lives means we need saving from God and, and we are not paying attention to the miracle that we are standing in. Because when you look around, what do you see? See waves and wind and chaos in your life? Or do you see a Savior and His creation and blessing? And if you and I are paying more attention to what seems like crazy wind and crazy waves and forget who rules them all, we will lose our way in this life. But if your eyes remain fixed on the Savior, who controls the wind, who controls the waves, and we will be able to stand with Him on the water in incredible places, See, Jesus took Peter to where only Jesus could take Peter. Does that make sense? You and I, and especially Peter, anybody else on the right, you cannot walk on water. It is impossible. And Jesus shows us His mastery of that and over creation. And if you and I are really following and pursuing Jesus, He will take you to a place that may seem impossible in your life. But there's blessing and a miracle on the other side. As long as you keep your eyes fixed on the Savior. We pick on Peter too often, I think. You say, oh Peter, he sank, he needed saving. Who's the only one to get out of the boat? I just want a simple lesson and a parable today. Parables from sea and shore. They help redirect our eyes, redirect our gaze, redirect our, our focus 
on Christ. Because I guarantee you, you might feel at peace right now. You may exit these doors today and the waves of your life are going to just swamp back in. But if your gaze isn't focused on the Lord, who is master of the ways of your life, who can speak calm and peace over the winds in your life, if your focus isn't on Him, you're going to sink. And that's the truth I know. I've been there. Some of you have. Some of you are. I just want you to close. We're going to close out this morning singing one or two songs. I'm not sure, depending on time. And really just close your eyes and maybe just be. You're welcome to stand. You're welcome to sit. You're welcome to sing. You're welcome to come up front if you want someone to pray for you. You're welcome to pray with the people around you. This is your time. This is your time with the God of all creation who made the wind, who made the waves, who made the oceans, who made you. And He knows what's going on in your life. And I guarantee you, He has a word to speak over you today. I don't know what that word is for you. I think sometimes we, we, we get too, too, too busy and, and our, our time of worship, this is not a fault of our own, it's just the American church. If anything, we get so, so formulated, so constructed, and we don't leave space. We don't leave time. I want you to get out of the boat for a few minutes. It's like one or two minutes and just sit, maybe with your eyes closed, and just be in the presence of the Lord. And ask Him, say, God, what is your word for me today? What do you want me to hear? What do I need to hear that maybe I don't want to hear? Where are you calling me to go that I might not want to go? Or it might seem impossible? God, are you calling me out of the boat to go somewhere deeper with you? Somewhere farther with you? God, are you calling me to just be in your presence? God, are you wanting to still the waters in my life? To calm the wind in my life? Or do you want me to endure those things right now? Because that wind and that current will take me to where I need to go. Though it might be painful through the process. I want to give you a couple minutes. Again, just, just close your eyes. Just, just be with you and God. That's what this morning's about. I hope, I pray. Because fellowship is great and important and, and worship of God through the music is, is great. But hopefully you're not here to hear me. Hopefully you're here to be with Him. So I'm going to talk less for a few moments so that you can listen more. So God, what is your word in my life this morning? Just be with God. And we'll close in song. Thank mm-hmm. you.